Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Naked Security Podcast from Sophos. This is episode number one for the 14th of February 2018. I'm Paul Ducklin, and we have the very good fortune to be joined for this episode by Mr. Fraser Howard. Fraser works in Sophos Labs, what you might call the nerve center of threat response at Sophos. Now, Fraser, I I hope you don't mind this, but when I describe you to people, I say Fraser is a real, he's kind of a specialist in everything, <laughs> which is not a way of just of saying that you've been around for quite a while, many years in threat research, but that you haven't just got that one year of experience 10 or 15 times. You've, you actually know how all the different parts fit together. That's very kind of you to say, and I hope at least some of that is true. So yes. So in other words, you don't just know about executable files or batch files or PowerShell files, or importantly for today's topic, JavaScript, but also how the crooks unfold their attacks and what tricks they use to make them more effective, even given that the actual code they're using is the same. That's true. I mean, I've worked in a variety of areas over the last few years within Sophos Labs and got to experience... Yeah, I guess a wide variety of how the uh, how the, how, how the cyber criminals look to kind of take their opportunities. I think that's probably one of the most fun things about this job, seeing how inventive some of the cyber criminals can actually be. Interesting kind of aspect of of what we uh, ultimately try and protect our customers against. What I wanted to talk to you about first was an incident that unfolded over the last weekend. That was on I think the eleventh of February, twenty eighteen. Mostly in the UK, but also sites in the US and Australia were affected, where people were suddenly reporting that a surprising number of government sites seemed to be serving up JavaScript that was doing crypto jacking or crypto mining. That's where the crooks put something into a web page so that while you're browsing the page, the JavaScript starts eating your CPU power and chowing up your electricity to try and generate cryptocurrencies, crypto coins. And instead of giving you a cut of the revenue, the crooks take it for themselves. And it turned out that it wasn't actually that loads of government sites had been hit independently. It was that they all had a common, uh, a product called BrowserLoud from a company called TextHelp, which was apparently there to help public sector sites do the right thing for people who can't read that well. So you can press a button and it'll read the site out aloud. The third-party company got their server hacked. Suddenly, the malware on that server is reflected 4,000 times or something across the world. So in many senses, this is very similar to a a concept known as malvertising, where a provider of advertising content gets hit. All of the sites that choose to load adverts, advertising content from that provider subsequently reflect that malicious content to the people looking at the actual website. It's a very parallel situation. Right. I guess the big difference here, maybe there's a bit of good fortune in this, is that as far as we can see, the crooks only went after those crypto coins. Because if you can inject JavaScript into a third-party site that then appears in thousands of other sites, you could, with JavaScript, you can do key logging, you can do phishing, you can try and unleash exploits against the browser. So it doesn't give you the right to install malware immediately and absolutely, but you can fiddle with links, you can trick people into downloading the wrong file, you can monitor what they're typing, all of that, and you can steal the data. 
Yeah, there's all sorts of nasty things you can do from trying to kind of coax usernames and passwords out of people through, to, as you say, trying to exploit the browser itself or more, um, kind of, as we've seen over the last five years, other software that the browser might use. Plugins like Flash, for example, or Java. And they were a very easy pickings for cyber criminals over the last five years in terms of web exploit kits and how they were using exploitation of that software to infect people with malware. So if you've got rid of Flash out of your browser, and if you've got rid of Java from your browser, many, many browsers make it quite hard even to have Java at all. No, those, yes. That just leaves you with the JavaScript risk. Yep. Is that better than Flash and Java ever were? Or is it just a question of one risk is better than three risks? One risk is definitely better than three risks. So your risk surface is reduced. And I think it would be fair to say that just JavaScript is better than Flash and Java ever were. Just the, the, hit, the long history of the different vulnerabilities that we saw widely exploited in Flash in Java. Those plugins are thankfully something that are now in the uh, software graveyard. Hopefully never to return. Well, there was a zero day in Flash just recently, wasn't there? It was. And you still get people who say, oh, but my favorite game depends upon it. I guess that's a, that's a choice that you have to make, right? If you really need Flash or you insist upon having it, then you may be in that risky 1%. But most websites either don't or shouldn't need it. And some browsers have taken the upper hand. Some browsers have tried to make it either impossible or near to impossible to run plugins that they deem actually makes their whole browser ecosystem less safe than they would ideally desire. Okay, so let's say I've got rid of Flash. I've got rid of Java. In a case like this, what can a visitor to a website do to reduce the risk of this, for example, this crypto jacking or crypto mining? Yeah, so I think in some senses, a, there's a certain degree of complacency that could potentially sneak in. You know, we've seen a lot less innovation, a lot less activity from web ex exploit kits. And so maybe people are starting to get a little bit more just generally trusting of web content. So a web exploit kit, that's where you might get JavaScript or a weird image file or something. And it actually tries to make your browser trip up so it'll download a file without asking you. Correct. Because of all the security effort put in by, you know, the Microsoft and Edge and Google and Chrome and Mozilla with, on Firefox, it's much harder to find yep. the way to make the browser trip up in the first place. The rich pickings that the cyber criminals had using that type of attack three, four years ago just simply isn't there today. It's not worth their while. They're taking easier routes to doing stuff. Um, but actually, this this kind of recent attack still uses some of the same kind of, um, or still shares some of the ca same characteristics. So what can a user do to reduce the risk? So one of the first things that most people will think of is, well, don't browse dodgy sites. But actually, in this exact sort of case, that doesn't help you in any way, shape or form, because you're browsing a legitimate gov.uk exactly. or a completely trusted site. And this, this basically illustrates the fact that when a user browses a website, in their head, their browser is requesting content from one website, from one server, from one organization. In reality, their browser is connecting to a whole multitude of different servers all over the world, and all of that content is stitched together in their browser within the blink of an eye. It gives you the skeleton of, of the page, the content they want you to see. That skeleton will contain instructions for your browser to go off to whatever other servers they've defined that will help their, their site render. So in this case, they were using a um, software that uh, improved accessibility for their content. And so your browser was quite rightly going off to this other remote site to get that JavaScript software that would give you that accessibility service. The downside was actually that third party got hacked. And so in addition to the accessibility software, you got 
additional functionality in that JavaScript that was malicious in intent. I assume that the impetus for this, what we call crypto mining, where they're doing calculations inside your browser to try and do what's so-called mining of crypto coins. Actually, it's quite interesting. So if you're thinking about a the old school web exploit attacks, you don't require anything of the user other than when they hit a site that you managed to inject your code into and bang, you exploit software, you install malware. At that point, they can turn their machine off, they can close the browser down, it doesn't matter, your malware is now installed on that machine. Actually, an interesting aspect of these crypto mining attacks is they actually require your browser to remain open. If the crypto jacking code gets on your machine and your CPU starts buzzing away, and within one second you shut your browser down, they lose. They don't gain anything. They're not going to make it, very unlikely they're going to make any money from that. So actually, in some senses, maybe the bad guys are trying to target sites where they know users are going to spend a good while on those sites. And so actually, government-type sites where people are probably downloading or reading on the site documentation, PDFs, that's kind of potentially more attractive to the bad guys. The, the downside for the crooks, and the good news, by the way, for this particular browser loud attack, if you shut down your browser and open it up again, then you win. So anyone's worried that they might have been affected, if they've shut down their browser fully and started it up again, they're almost certainly no longer infected. Correct. Which is a little better than what you usually expect with, yeah. say, a ransomware attack where, oh golly, by the time you notice, it's too late. That's one aspect I've always found quite interesting with this kind of JavaScript-based crypto mining is because they're thrashing your CPU quite aggressively and they require your browser to remain open... It's this balance of well, how aggressively do they thrash the CPU and therefore slow your machine down and therefore make it, make it more likely that you shut the browser, you restart the box to try and fix the problem versus less aggressively thrashing the CPU, but potentially lowering their profits. But then again, nowadays on lots of very, very powerful machines with multiple cores, you can probably get away with quite aggressive thrashing without the user really noticing and for example, for, for Sophos users who have our web protection feature turned on, BrowserLoud didn't serve up the coin mining. It actually referred to yet a, like a fourth party oh, site. Exactly. We would have blocked that site. And in fact, that would not have stopped you seeing the content of the original site. You get all the main content yep. and the hidden stuff would get blocked. That's, and yep, that's right. if that does mess up the site, that's better than getting pwned, isn't it? Exactly. This is really fascinating, and maybe we should come back and do a whole podcast all about this, you know, with a JavaScript. But Fraser, I'd, I'd like to use you for our next topic in this episode, if I may, because it's kind of related. It come, it, it's all about coin mining. The story I'm thinking about here came from just, ironically, just a couple of days before the government sites in crypto mining uproar, and apparently some staff at the All-Russian Research Institute of Experimental Physics, nuclear physicists, they have this giant supercomputer. One petaflop. It's like super powerful. It's like having several thousand high-end super power mega GPU gaming rigs in a room all waiting to do what you want. Apparently, they were busted for what uh, was said by the director of the institute to be an attempt to use office computing capacity for unauthorized purposes, including crypto mining. It's almost amusing. It's not like ransomware where all your data's gone. It's not like a data stealer where there's this leakage of data. It's not like a password stealer where the crooks can get back in later. Is it really that bad? Why would this research institute 
be annoyed to find out that someone had said, oh, I just want to do some, I'm going to get me some Monero. I mean, it all comes down at the end of the day to unauthorized use of resources. So there's a whole variety of different analogies you could draw. But fundamentally, people for personal gain are using what? The hardware, I'm not really into computing hardware that much, but that sounds like a crypto miner's dream. (laughs) Uh, One petaflop. Um, 10 to the power 15 floating point operations per second. That's quite significant. And and when it comes to crypto mining, actually, the, 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 the calculations per second, the hashes per second that you can generate translate directly to your kind of your profit. The, the more calculations you can do per second, the, the, the larger a, a profit you're going to be able to, to draw from, from that particular software. These, these mining tools, they are legitimate. We will have, there'll be Sophos customers who intent, intentionally run mining software on their networks. And for that reason, we block them as PUA, potentially unwanted applications. So for customers that want to, they can choose to authorize those tools on their network. So potentially unwanted application, you're sort of admitting that, well, there may be somebody who wants to use it, or there may be some department in the company for whom this is a useful tool. For everyone else, it's an operational risk that we're just not willing to tolerate. Actually, there is one interesting aspect that I thought of earlier today, actually, is um, if, you're an, if someone is running this type of software within your organization, there's a, there's a leakage of information. So somebody looking at traffic coming out of your organization might well recognize coin mining traffic. And that tells, some, tells them something about your internal organization. And I imagine if you have a petaflop computer your and time. you turn it up to max yeah. for crypto mining, the electricity bill is going to be non-trivial. Yeah. So one analogy could be the, the whole kind of pencil or paperclip analogy. If someone goes home with a paperclip or a pencil... Does it really matter? Probably not. If someone goes home with a box full of pencils and paper clips every single day of their working life, that's clearly inappropriate. It is, as you say, a lot more than just a paperclip at risk here, isn't there? It is, yeah. And actually, when it comes to computing software and control over what software is allowed to be run in an organization, it's not about you know, only recognizing significant abuse. It's about having clear lines of engagement. And in this case, unauthorized software is unauthorized software. Quite often we see with certain families of malware, when they successfully manage to exploit a system, they either patch the vulnerability through which they entered or they make the appropriate kind of configuration changes, firewall changes maybe, to stop anybody else using that same vulnerability to get on that system because they know how common it is for other people to find so the same... basically to stop other crooks taking over from them. Exactly. If you're running a piece of malware like a data stealer, for example, it's all about... How long can you be on that machine? The longer you're there, the more keystrokes you can steal, the more potentially other systems you can penetrate within that organization. So you don't want that machine to be identified as, a, as being infected. And so if you can close that door and stop anybody else getting on there and potentially waving a red flag to the admin, the better it is for you. So any warning sign that a company gets must be taken seriously. Yes. And even if you think, oh, crypto mining, it is, it's just a paperclip. If you're not careful, you'll find that as well as paperclips, somebody's making off with carton loads of gearboxes. Something has gone wrong with your enforcement of the procedures that say thou shalt not steal. If you're the proud owner of a petaflop, (laughs) you would imagine that you've got a couple at home. (laughs) Significant process and control over who can actually physically access that device, who has access, who has who has admin access to actually run unauthorized software. There's a whole host of things that kind of warning bells that ring in my head when you hear stories about this type of hardware being successfully used to run essentially illegitimate software. 
this system is being used presumably for research and presumably quite, quite cutting edge research. And there could be all sorts of quite valuable intellectual property. There's that whole reputation and potential regulatory cost. And I noticed that in the statement from that Russian Research Institute, it was that, that, that they found unauthorized stuff, including crypto mining. And so it does rather invite people to go, gosh, I wonder what else was on there. I mean, it's, it's, that, it's that mix, isn't it? You, you have people of criminal intent and you have opportunity. And those two things don't make good bedfellows. They do not. Most importantly, in this, the, the, the advice to take away from this particular segment is if you see any warning sign that makes you think that there might be an attack, go and have a look. Don't wait until it's absolutely confirmed. Yep, that's very true. Fraser, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to talk to you because your combination of passion and deep knowledge always come bursting forth. I'm sure we'll have you back. And right. uh, thanks thank you for much. coming. Thanks for listening, folks. Please visit our website, nakedsecurity.sophos.com, where we lay bare the truth about computer security. Follow us on Twitter, at Naked Security, and keep up with our fine podcasts on iTunes, via your favourite podcatcher, or on soundcloud.com slash sophossecurity. By the way, that intro tune was from Purple Planet Music, so thanks to Jeff and Chris from Manchester and Leeds, and we'll let them play you out with a short bit of riffage. This one is called Meat Grinder. <laughs>